0: I'm Gabriella Hoffman, and you're listening to episode 123 of District of Conservation. In today's episode, I will explore two topics, whether or not National Park Service fees should be raised, and give you guys an update on that very mysterious Utah obelisk that has appeared and then since disappeared from Moab, Utah. Here we go. About a week ago, I noticed an article from National Review, which is one of the most preeminent conservative journals and magazines out there and something that I read fairly often and I admire and I like, being a political conservative. And I noticed this article from Kevin Williamson, who is a bit of a polemic and a provocateur. And he writes in this article of his about the need to raise national park fees almost to the level of Disneyland park entry fees. That does sound absurd, and it's pretty absurd, and I'm going to explain why, but let's read an excerpt from his article. The article is entitled, Raise the Entrance Fees for Our National Parks. And here is an excerpt. This was dated November 25th. A family of four pays $4,200 for a week-long pass to Disneyland, but $35 for a week at Yellowstone. We can pay more for our natural treasure. We should jack up the entrance fees for national parks a lot. And I'm coming through this. Instead of the significant increase that had been proposed, the fees will go up by about $5 in most cases. There was actually a proposal about two years ago from the National Park Service to raise entrance fees among numerous National Park Service properties. But I believe they scaled back and abandoned that plan. But in some places, they did increase. And he goes on to say, comparing, let's say, a park like Yellowstone to Disneyland, which you can't really do. For perspective, the entrance fee for a week in Yellowstone is $35 per vehicle. For a family of four in one family truckster, that comes to $5 per day for the whole gang. The cheapest ticket to Disneyland is more than $150 per person per day which would notionally work out to be 4200 for the same seven days that four people would enjoy, four people that $35 will get you in a national park. There's room to raise the fees for Yellowstone and other popular parks like it. Why do that? He writes on to say this. The National Park Service has two perennial complaints. One is that it is underfunded, and the other is that the national parks are overcrowded. Call me Machiavellian, but that, my friends, looks to me like the kind of problem that can be solved and solved pretty easily. Keep raising the price of admissions until the parks aren't overcrowded anymore. I have never heard a justification to raise the parks to decentivize people from visiting the parks. This is pretty boneheaded. And you can still be a free market environmentalist and a principled conservative and still find reason within Williamson's piece to be very lopsided because I've never heard of well if you raise the price fees for national parks it's going to disincentivize people from attending and limit out them from attending whatsoever uh I grew up near Disneyland and every time they would raise the fee to the parks people would still go so exactly what what does that do I don't I don't think you can compare Disneyland to Yellowstone in any means uh also people are very removed from nature. Disneyland is kind of a hyped-up theme park, and hey, if you want to go to that, by all means, knock yourselves out. But to compare, I think the mistake that he makes here is two, several things. He does not understand what the National Park Service does. He compares a conglomerate of a large corporation, an amusement park, whose fees have gone up demonstrably over the years, which is artificial, rooted in fantasy, to something that is in existence, vibrant, thriving, and naturalistic. Again, two very different ecosystems at play. One artificial, one real. And three, how is raising the parks going to prevent overcrowdedness? With COVID-19, I was at Shenandoah National Park, and I think I talked about it on the podcast as well, And even if they did go ahead with raising the park fees for $5, I was uh, raising the park fee is not going to stop people from going. If there's a demand to go to a national park, people are going to go. And I I think it's wrong to assume that raising the fee is going to deter people from going to a national park. It hasn't worked at Disneyland. Why would it work with a national park? But that taken out of the equation I think if the government has to have a role in something, in its limited capacity of having a role, and especially with public lands, they do have a rightful place to administer National Park Service related entities. And this is the national parks are a public good, it's a place for all. It's not supposed to be this extension of corporate America or this extension of Disneyland. It's a place where you can learn about wildlife, you can learn about different natural settings, you can spend time with your family, you can go camping, you can go hiking, you can go fishing. And in some national parks, you may be able to do hunting. It's very limited, but something like that does occur in Grand Teton at times, but it's more rare. But national parks are really enlightening and educational places. Disneyland is where you go to spend money, and you spend a lot of money. And sure, you may make some short term memories but you make a lot more memories when you're outside in nature and nature is far more good for you. But going back to whether or not we should see kind of like a privatization of national parks, I don't think that argument holds. And that could be taken out of the equation for whether you're a free market environmentalist or a preservationist. I think this is the one issue where people can come together and recognize that making it as expensive as Disneyland is impractical. It defeats the purpose of making this available for everyone regardless of income bracket, and really pricing people out of parks to only be enjoyed by those who are super affluent or those who can afford to go. That's not what the national park system was created for. Like I said, you can reconcile this viewpoint and still be a free market environmentalist. And I don't think uh, Williamson paid attention to the fact that there are already remedies in place like the Great American Outdoors Act, to help address the deferred maintenance backlog issue in the national park system. That's already in place. I have no idea if they're going to be exploring this, especially with the new administration coming in with raising park fees. I don't think we'll see that. And that plan, like I said, was largely abandoned even under the Trump administration. But to fix the national parks or to get people to go to them, making it impossible for them to access it is not the way to preserve national parks whatsoever. So I think this is extremely counterintuitive. And I'll be talking more about this actually on another podcast that I'm going to be recording later today, but I'm wholly opposed to this idea of raising park fees because whatever you're spending, that's going towards repairing stuff. And actually there are proposals from, let's say, friends at the Property and Environment Research Center. They have proposed a lot of ways where those dollars collected from park entry fees can go back directly to projects to rehabilitate infrastructure, improve roads, and other features that have been largely neglected. And that's largely something that Sean Reagan has explored from PERC. Hannah Downey has talked about at length in a recent column. I'm going to cite those for you about what are actual remedies where you can still hold your philosophy, but be cognizant of the mechanisms in place. But I think everyone of different political stripes can come in agreement that making national parks a lot more inaccessible is not the way to go. It's not the way to preserve these national treasures and natural treasures. And I don't think we're going to see this largely embraced going forward. And I hope he would reconsider. I hope those of you who listen to the podcast can enlighten others about what is discussed here. And I hope... People like Williamson reach out to individuals like me who talk about this in our movement uh, so you can understand what exactly this goes on. And this is what happens when people who are removed from these topics opine on these situations. They have to learn about what these mechanisms are. They have to learn kind of about the structure and not compare it to Disneyland. That's an insult to national parks and to people who are naturalists and conservationists. And so, yeah, the and, and we see this year, more people are going to national parks because of COVID. Like I said, at Shenandoah earlier this summer, when I went there during 4th of July, I have never seen that many people at a national park in my lifetime before. And I've gone to Yellowstone, I've gone to Grand Teton, I've gone to numerous different parks, and that was the most crowded I've ever seen, even a trail to go hiking. It was so busy. People were wanting to escape. And I think the NPS appreciated the different people coming. It was a little chaotic, but it was manageable, but I don't think raising the price, I think people here are are a lot more affluent, let's say in Virginia. So I don't think price really matters to them, but for someone who is not rich and wants to discover nature, why should they be deprived of that because of higher park fees? I think it doesn't make sense. It's impractical. And thankfully that position is in a minority position. The next story has to be the most 2020 story related to conservation and public lands. And it is the story of that mysterious metallic monolith that appeared in Utah over the weekend. And yesterday it was announced that that monolith was since removed and another monolith like it in its spitting image had appeared in Romania outside of a historic site there. And, A lot of people have picked up on this story to to mock the monolith, uh, to speculate. Maybe it was extraterrestrials who put it there and other speculative thoughts on why it was placed there. It's really random. There's really no symbolism behind it. And the Bureau of Land Management in Utah said this about the strange appearance of the... So here is the full statement from BLM. The Bureau of Land Management confirmed during a site visit on Saturday that an unknown party or parties removed the illegally installed structure referred to as the Monolith sometime on the evening of November 27th. The BLM did not remove the structure which had been previously discovered on public lands in the Monticello Field Office. Over the course of Thanksgiving week, a relatively large number of people visited the site which had not been developed for heavy visitation. The structure received national and international interest and sparked a dialogue regarding who installed it and what it symbolized, generating widespread attention. The BLM received both positive and negative input regarding the status of the structure and was investigating who installed it when a person or group removed it. Any development on public lands must be approved by the BLM and is subject to applicable laws such as the Federal Land Policy and Management Act and the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA. We recognize the incredible interest the monolith has generated worldwide, many people have been enjoying the mystery and viewed as a welcome distraction from the 2020 news cycle said Monticello Field manager Amber Denton Johnson. Even so, it was installed without authorization on public lands and the site is in a remote area without services for the large number of people who now want to see it. Whenever you visit public lands, please leave no trace principles. Please follow leave no trace principles and federal and local laws and guidance. Visitors who flocked to the site on vegetation and left behind human waste as evidence of their visit. Oh, that's awful. The undeveloped area does not have restrooms or a parking lot. The BLM recommends that visitors not attempt to visit the site, which has no cell service and requires high clearance vehicles, passenger vehicles that have already been towed from the area. Passenger vehicles have already been towed from the area. Remind the public that driving off designated roads and trails in the Monticello field office is illegal. Oh my, that's really disappointing if that's the case there. And uh, it goes to show that some people don't really value public lands, especially when things become cultural or international phenomenon. We have received credible reports that the illegally installed structure referred to as the quote monolith end quote has been removed from Bureau of Land Management public lands by an unknown party. BLM did not remove the structure, which is considered private property. We do not investigate crimes involving private property, which are handled by the local sheriff's office. The structure has received international and national attention. And we received reports that a person or group removed it on the evening of November 27th. Some people are saying because BLM is obviously a bureau that manages public lands. The contention is how can it be considered private property if it's public lands and We don't know the origin or source of this type of object, but it was interesting. Actually, Southwest, if you fly Southwest, uh, it looks a lot like that structure when you're gathering to be divided into your boarding group. It looks like that metallic structure. And here's what Southwest said about that, which is funny. Uh, And this is from Fox News. Southwest Airlines has thrown water on our theory that Utah's mysterious monolith had arrived to help usher in usher us into a new age of enlightenment the internet is still abuzz with speculation over the whereabouts and meaning of the silver monolith which was found by utah officials in november before disappearing almost as soon as it was discovered some propose that it was an installation by a quote new wave end quote artist others theorized it others theorized that it was put there by aliens a la 2001 a space odyssey it's a movie if you don't know Southwest Airlines, however, is offering one of the only plausible explanations for its disappearance. Earlier this week, the Dallas-based airline tweeted out a photo of the monolith, albeit edited to look like one of the numbered posts that assists with seating at an airline's gate, at a Southwest Airlines gate. Sorry, y'all, we needed it back, tweeted the airline on November 29th. That's pretty funny. And that kind of brought some levity to Twitter, which is seen as kind of this vacuous depressing outlet with hyper-partisan attitudes people being mean towards one another so that was a little nice brief moment of levity there will we ever know the origins of this monolith why it was installed what's its significance or will we just be left to ponder its existence that remains to be seen but i thought that would be something to talk about i'll include links for you guys to learn more about it. thanks so much for listening to this episode of district of conservation if you enjoy the content let me know on social media and be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you are just learning about the podcast and don't know how to listen, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, radio.com, iHeartRadio, and many other participating platforms. And if you like the content, you want to showcase your support for it, make sure to leave us some reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts. Those, go, those go a long way with measuring kind of our reach on the podcast stay tuned for more interviews as we go into the holiday season i'll be sitting down with some more members elect in congress to talk about their views of conservation and so much more if you'd like to hear similar topics on this podcast kind of heart lighthearted and kind of lighthearted and jovial type topics let me know send in some stories i should consider related to conservation the outdoors wildlife thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week Find us on social media, engage with me on social media, and let me know who you'd like to hear on the podcast or what topics you'd like discussed here.